So, um, I'm preaching today, funnily enough, out of the book of Revelation. (laughs) But it may not be quite what you expect, because I'm not an expert on end times eschatology. But (laughs) I'm pretty good at listening to the Lord and asking him what he wants me to share. And I was kind of surprised when he took me into the book of Revelation. But as I began to get into it, I realized what he wanted to say to us this morning. So I'm going to pray and get into this message. And I want to thank you, Father, that the word of God is eternal. And the things that you spoke to those churches, those seven churches in the beginning of book Revelation, the things that you spoke to them are just as important and pertinent to us today in our hour. That the word of God is eternal and if we allow it to come and speak deeply into our hearts, it changes and transforms us from one level of glory to the next. Before I get into this, can I just say that as I observe people around me and as I observe my own reactions and responses to various stimuli, if you like to call it that, uh, surrounding our current crisis, what I'm seeing is that there is an acceleration of maturity within the body of Christ for those who are willing to receive the correction of the Lord and the redirection of our focus toward him and not the things that the church has been kind of waylaid by if I can put it that way and so this week the Lord took me into part of the book of Revelation for a specific purpose I'm not going to speak about the dragon I'm not going to speak about the beast I'm not going to speak about the four horsemen of the apocalypse I'm not going to set about interpreting the incredibly complex symbols of eschatology in the book of Revelation what God has asked me to speak about is the character of the man who was given the vision and the message he was entrusted with to give to churches. So I want to begin by giving you a picture of his circumstances. Now we're talking, of course, about the Apostle John. And we are towards the end of the first century after the resurrection of Jesus. And I found that as I got into Revelation chapter 1, I could see a pretty uh, in-depth revelation of his character. And if you turn with me in Revelation chapter 1 to verse 9, he says this in introducing his vision. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, there is a lot in this verse. It's rich. First of all, he's calling us, he's calling himself our brother and companion, part of the family of God bought by the blood of Jesus and brought together by faith, and so our companion in our journey. A companion is somebody who goes somewhere with you, right? Um, So our companion in our journey in what? The tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. 
So John here aligns himself with us as a brother and companion through our faith journey and he puts an emphasis on three things about that journey. The first one is tribulation and I just want to make a point here. He's not talking about the great tribulation. He's talking about the tribulation that Jesus told us is going to be part of the life of every believer. John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Same exact same Greek word. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. If you are looking to Jesus in your current trouble, in your current difficulty, then you can have peace. If you are not looking to Jesus, you are not going to have peace. And so that's the first part. He's our companion in this tribulation, these troubled times. The second thing he's our companion in is the, the kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven announced by Jesus himself. Matthew 4.17. The kingdom is linked uh, specifically to, to something. Matthew 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus uh, initiated the coming of the kingdom of heaven, which the Bible says of its increase and of its peace there will be no end, when he began to initiate that, he linked it to something. If you want to come into the kingdom, you're going to need to live a lifestyle of repentance. You're going to have to be prepared for the Holy Spirit to come again and again and again and again and deal with you about things in your heart that don't line up with the heart of Jesus because Jesus came as the light of the world and then he commissioned us and said, now you're the light of the world. And some of the, some, some of the time I see uh, the Christian church reflecting more darkness than it is light. That's not how things are supposed to be. People are supposed to be able to see within now something that they have to have. That's the second thing, the kingdom. The third one is patience. <laughs> one of the bravest prayers you can make to the Lord in any area of your life is, Lord, give me patience. And God loves answering that prayer because he will give you something that requires patience of you again and again and again until you stop being impatient. And uh, when he's really talking about, when he's talking about patience, he's really taking it to an extreme because he's talking about the faithful endurance to the end that was modelled for us by Jesus himself. If you were uh, part of our live stream last week as I preached out of Matthew 23 and 24, you will remember, oh, sorry, 24 and 25, you'll remember that in Matthew 24, 13, just before Jesus said, you know, he's talking about the end times, and just before he says um, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world to every tribe, tongue and nation, and then the end will come. But just before that he says this, he who endures to the end shall be saved. And so there's your background. There's, there's John uniting his heart with ours and saying, I'm your companion. I'm your brother. I'm not just talking this to you. I'm walking through it with you. And we can tell that he's walking it uh, through with us because of where he is and how he got there. So let me, uh, let me just 
share with you that John then goes on to tell us that he's on the island of Patmos. Then he says, I'm on the island of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why he's on Patmos. So this John is near the end of his life. We're near the end of the first century. He has ministered faithfully in the gospel, but precisely because of his faithful ministry, his faithfulness to the preaching of the word and faithfulness to the testimony of Jesus, he has come to the attention of Rome, the ruling power of the day. He's been arrested and he has been sent to a Roman penal colony off the coast of what is now modern Turkey, a small island called Patmos. And so when he got this revelation, it wasn't because he went to this holiday island. It wasn't because he went on sabbatical. It wasn't like he took a little break for a couple of weeks to seek the Lord and see what the Lord had to say. He was there because he was sentenced to permanent exile there by Rome because he was a faithful follower of Jesus enduring to the end. This is not a man who just talked it and didn't walk it. He talked it and he walked it. He is there suffering for the gospel, truly suffering, not just inconvenienced. Can we get over our entitlement and our expectation that everything to do about our Christian walk is supposed to be comfortable? That everything's supposed to be at our convenience? See, he knows the truth of his fellow apostle Paul, who said in Philippians 4, 12 to 13, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. In other words, he knew the bountiful provision of the Lord toward him. Every provision um, applied. He also knew what it was like to be in lack. He knew what it was like to be in suffering. He knew what it was like to be whipped and left for dead. And one of the amazing testimonies of the New Testament, I can't remember exactly where this is. You can find it for yourselves. I trust you all love digging into the Word of God. Um, there is an episode in Paul's life where he is preaching in a particular city and he gets everybody upset because he's preaching Jesus. And so they stone him and leave him for dead outside the city. And so he's there, left for dead, battered and bruised and bloody and all the rest of it. And his friends come along and they find him and they pick him up and they pray over him and he is restored to life. We don't know whether he's actually dead or not. It just says he was left for dead. He gets up and what does he do? He goes straight back to the city that he was just stoned in. And I want to say stone, for those of you who uh, grew up in the 60s and 70s, you will, uh, <laughs> you will note that I'm talking about the hurling of physical rocks at you until you are dead, not puffing on a bong. Uh, <laughs> this sort of suffering is not the sort of thing that the Western church is good at. Because we have tied the blessing of God to prosperity instead of provision. We've tied the blessing of God to prosperity instead of provision. So when our rights 
My goodness, how many times have I heard that lately? So when our rights to the comfortable, cosseted life we are accustomed to are challenged, we are outraged that our comfort has been disturbed. Is there a greater refuge of outrage than Facebook? I don't think so. We are outraged that our comfort has been disturbed rather than challenged and encouraged that God is using our trials to produce more fruit, more oil. And so I thought about all these things and I think about the example of John on Patmos, his endurance and his faith. I think about how lonely he must have been there in exile among political prisoners and other enemies of the Roman state. And then I remember that this was the apostle who at the Last Supper lay back and rested his head on Jesus' chest. He was the one who said, I'm his favourite. The disciple whom Jesus loved, the scripture says. And it's this one who was so singled out for the attention and love of Jesus um, who is suffering these things. And I wonder what he would have made of our sense of entitlement, our prosperity theology, our Christian industries of worship entertainment and the trappings of modern Pentecostalism. Because I don't think he'd relate. I do not think he would relate to what we have decided is our right. And we see that he has matured into a rightful attitude towards suffering and the cost of following Jesus. We don't know whether any other believers were there with him, but certainly there was no church building such as the ones we are so used to and take for granted as our rights. I'm not against church buildings. We have one. I'm not against church buildings. The gathering of the saints together in corporate worship is important. When we have our next public worship service, whenever that's going to be, people are going to come into this place and the Holy Spirit is going to explode in power. It's going to be awesome. God is bringing us out into rich fulfilment. Despite his difficulty... In the next verse, we see that he has positioned himself to truly receive from God. Verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He didn't have a worship team and air conditioning and all his friends around him. (sighs) He was there by himself, but he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. If you had been taking a holiday from prayer, worship, intercession, fellowship with other believers, with whatever means you have available to you, maybe you need to take your example from this man because he was determined to be in that place of the spirit. And when you are in the spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation comes to speak to you. 
He may not give you another book of Revelation, but he will give you revelation. Amen? No matter what happens around you, you can remain in the spirit. It is the key to receiving from the Lord. And so positioned thus in the spirit, he has uh, this incredible encounter. So there he is. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what do you see? Write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. I want to make a point here that... uh, you can find so many different views about the eschatology attached to the book of Revelation. And people will look at Daniel, they'll look at uh, Matthew 24, they'll look at uh, Thessalonians, they'll look at different aspects of Scripture that point toward uh, a lot of the stuff in the book of Revelation. And there's all this symbology, uh, uh, all, there are all these symbols in the book of Revelation. Um, there are... Uh, there is great uncertainty about what certain things mean. Um, and even in my uh, 25 years of Christian walk, I've heard um, the label of the Antichrist attached to uh, a couple of successive posts, uh, popes, uh, George Bush, because he said after the first Iraqi war, I believe, that there was a new world order and Everybody freaked out. This man's the Antichrist. (laughs) I note that uh, a couple of people in the New South Wales government used that expression the other day and, of course, Facebook has gone crazy. New World Order. Um, I would suggest to you that our health minister is not the Antichrist. Uh, (laughs) So you find all this apocalyptic imagery because it's, it's apocalyptic literature is what they call it, but it's also the word of God and we should never in any way uh, undermine its authority, but it's very difficult to understand. We need to understand that for the most part, you can't attach a particular chronology to it. It's not very straightforward, this, 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 this and this in successive order. And, so, and certainly we don't know when precisely those events in the book of Revelation take place, except at the beginning. Here, the chronology of what we're talking about today, the chronology and the order is clear. One, John has been exiled to Patmos because of his faithful witness for Jesus. Secondly, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day and Jesus appears to him. And then Jesus gives him specific messages for the seven churches there. They are actual physical churches at that time in what is now uh, Turkey. And the messages are given because there is trouble coming. There is trouble coming. (laughs) I've... Can I suggest to you that there is a degree of trouble here now around the world? These churches are physically on the mainland of Turkey. Patmos is just off the uh, 
off the mainland of Turkey. And if he was free to travel, he would be able to minister to them personally. And instead, he is given a letter to give to them all. And we should praise God that he was forced to write the letters because the letters are also to us. The messages are given for two reasons. That those seven churches might get their houses in order because they need to be prepared for troubled times that they can barely comprehend. And secondly, that we might get our houses in order because it's not just written to them, it's written to us as well because the word of God is eternal. And so then I was thinking, man, I could preach the seven churches of Revelation and we'd still be here in seven weeks. So I'm going to give you my imperfect summary, imperfect summary of, 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 uh, of what Jesus wants to correct in these seven churches. This is a kind of across all of them. Um, and different uh, churches um, have different imperfections that the Lord wants to address. So here's a summary. If you don't love, if you have compromise, if you have strayed from truth and embraced heresy, if you have fallen into an immoral lifestyle, if you have entertained the Jezebel spirit and false prophecy, the Jezebel spirit is the main hindrance to the Western church. If you have entertained the Jezebel spirit and false prophecy, if you have fallen for empty materialism, if your faith is dead or you have allowed it to wither and die to the things of the spirit, if you are materially rich but spiritually poor, if you are lukewarm, if you are spiritually blind, then Jesus is calling you to repentance. He's calling us to repentance and that and he's calling us to endure to the end, even if it means persecution. And if you do not, if you are not prepared to fully embrace what the Spirit says to those churches then, you will remain unprepared for the end times which are now coming at us like a freight train. Now, at different times... How long have I been here, Sylvia? Senior pastor, 10 years, 10 and a half years, something like that. At different times, the Lord has spoken to us prophetically um, and, and in a measure of correction out of uh, Revelation 2 and 3 because that's where those corrections to those churches are. But most recently, he gave me a word out of Revelation 3 verses 7 to 8 and I praise God that it's to a church that Jesus was reasonably happy with. <laughs> and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? This is Revelation 3, verse 7 and 8. These things says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See? I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it, but you have a little strength. You've kept my word and have not denied my name. That's a good start. We need to go on from there. We need to rise up and be positioned for what God wants to release to us because he has made us a promise that we are coming out into rich fulfillment and he is going to release to us a harvest. And in fact, he's going to release us into that harvest that revival is going to spring from. And so 
when I'm talking about a chronological sequence at the beginning of Revelation, the book of Revelation, there's one more thing. Well, before I get to that, the open door in that scripture as applied to Open Heaven Church, that open door is for the gospel to be ministered in power, for harvest and for revival. There's one more step in this chronological sequence before John launches into these amazing apocalyptic visions. And that is in Revelation 4 verse 1. After these corrections have been released to the churches, John says this, Revelation 4.1, after these things. In other words, after he'd had these visions and God had given him these letters to write to the churches. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. There is an open invitation to this man to be seated in heavenly places, to be positioned with the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And can I tell you that God is asking us now to ascend as well. He's saying to us, Come up here so I can show you the things that must happen next. He's asking us to be positioned for what he wants to do across the face of the earth. What is the primary thing on God's heart in this season? Salvation. God wants the last harvest to come in before the earth is reaped. In, the, in judgment. In this hour, we must have a higher perspective than the world around us does. The enemy has sown a wicked seed of disease and death across the face of the earth. This pandemic of COVID-19. Early last year, I made the prophetic declaration that the economic and social fallout within Australia from this pandemic would be much greater than the disease itself. And so far, that prophetic word has held true. Now we have an acceleration of the spread of COVID-19, particularly in our city, Sydney, and the economic and social fallout has been immense. So, so far that prophetic word has been proved to be correct. Tragic though the death and disease toll has been. I don't want anybody to ever underestimate what has happened across the face of the earth. In other countries, the toll from COVID-19 has been absolutely horrific. Since this time yesterday morning to now, as I stand here in this church, at least 300 people died in Malaysia. In the last 24 hours, at least 
40-something thousand people contracted COVID in the United Kingdom. In other countries, the reports are understated and sketchy because they don't have the reporting or medical facilities, but I know that Indonesia, um, I have a contact in Indonesia that I speak to regularly and the toll of COVID-19 in Indonesia has been horrific and the toll has been um, particularly hard on countries that don't have good standards of medical care, don't have vaccines, don't have uh, the resources available to them that we have. And so at the risk of being a little controversial here, I want to make this statement and make it very clear. Our government is not the enemy here. Our government is not the enemy. And God is looking for a people who will rise up in obedience to the word of God and pray for those in authority rather than against them. Our government is not our enemy as much as the seeds of division that are being sown by the enemy within the ecclesia in this time of crisis. The enemy is sowing division. Everywhere I go, I hear it and I see it. Church, it's time to grow up. If we grow up, we will rise up into our destiny. To grow to maturity, we got to be like John. Because John was given the invitation. Hey, come up here. I want to show you some stuff. Jeremiah 33.3 in the Old Testament. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you have not known. God has great and mighty things in store for us. But we need the maturity of perspective to get our eyes off the immediate surroundings and be influenced by things that are completely different here than they are even across the border in Queensland. Come on. <laughs> We do not, we are not under a government bent on our destruction. It's okay, I'm used to uh, people with different opinions. <laughs> when I was getting hundreds of thousands of views on my prophetic visions to do with the United States of America a year ago, I got plenty of opinions thrown at me then. I'm just prophesying that the Lord is bringing us out into rich fulfilment. I'm not trying to take a pro-vax, anti-vax position. So my job, my job is to bring the area of ecclesia under my responsibility together through 
and into the destiny that God has spoken over us. And that destiny is rich fulfillment. There are difficult decisions that I have to make along the way, but I'm determined that we all get into that rich fulfillment. To grow to maturity, we must therefore position ourselves to receive from the Spirit of the Lord so that we live in constant overflow. That was at the heart of last week's message that we have more than, that we need to have more than enough to light our own path. We need to be the light of the world to those around us. We need to get our eyes off ourselves and off our sometimes petty grievances and our entitlement and expectation of how things are supposed to be and deal with the reality of where we are and say, God, whatever I need to do, however I need to be positioned for you to take me out of this season into the next, do that work in my heart, Lord, so that I can rise up and see from your perspective, not from down here. We need to transition from being chickens scratching around in the barnyard, looking for the next piece of grain. We need to be able to rise up over that chicken coop on wings of eagles because we've been waiting on the Lord to see from his perspective. And, you know, there's something about, about the eagle who soars far above the earth and yet has vision that's so acute it can spot that death adder sunning itself on the rock, plunge down thousands of feet, grab it in its talons and destroy it. Come on, church, it's time to rise up. It's time for us to take our rightful position, seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. It's time for us to stop fighting our battles from the first heaven or even the second. We need to speak with authority from the third into everything that's happening upon the face of the earth and everything that's happening in the spiritual realm. Only a church on fire can be the light of the world that Jesus has called us to be. If we do not rise up, if we do not allow the fire to come, we will be at the mercy of our flesh, at the mercy of the world and susceptible to the voice of the enemy. So I want to finish with this message, uh, with this uh, a couple of prophetic words that I received this week and I shared this. I make no apologies. I shared this uh, in our prophetic fire ministry meeting, but most of our church wasn't part of that particular uh, Zoom meeting, and I feel it's very pertinent for the season that we're in. So I had two encounters with the Lord uh, this week that I believe is specific to us, and uh, they're in line with what I've just preached. So I'm going to share this with you. This is a few days ago. Um, I was waiting on the Lord and I was preparing a message for the uh, prophetic fire ministry meeting to do with the pearl of great price, that, um, that parable, short parable in the Word of God. And as I meditated on it, I actually had a vision of a man's open hand held out with a beautiful pearl sitting there. The pearl was being offered to whoever would take it. And I heard the Lord say, my people are called to show this pearl to the whole world. My people are called to demonstrate its matchless value. From the moment you came into the kingdom, my intent has been for you to be trained and equipped in the ways of the kingdom. 
to be trained in love, in power, and in a sound mind. Fear, let me just interject with this because I feel the Lord emphasizing this. Fear is not to be a part of our makeup. I know that there are spirits of intimidation. I know that there is a spirit of Leviathan coming against the body of Christ in this hour, but we are not to be subject to those things. We are called to manifest the fruit of the kingdom while demonstrating its power. And though uh, we are simultaneously living in two places here on the earth but also in the heavenly realms, we cannot allow our perspective to be driven by what our natural eyes see in front of us. When I say natural eyes, uh, those of you with your head buried in Facebook (laughs) and uh, having complex situations summed up for you, by a 10-word meme that was probably written by a Chinese Asian who wants to undermine our national sovereignty, can I just tell you it's time to get out of Facebook and get into the Word. The perspective of the kingdom is eternal, not temporal. I heard the Lord say, My bride must rise now to her proper place of authority and demonstrate my kingdom. As you do, you will be my hand extended to this broken, dying world, and the world will see clearly the pearl of great price and desire to have what you have. When was the last time somebody stopped one of us on the street and said, Hey, I don't know what it is about you, but I've got to have what you have. And then he took me to 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, which says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Can I suggest to you that if now is the time of salvation was true when Jesus walked the earth, how much more true is it today? Because we are at the pointy end of the end times because the gospel has nearly been preached to every tribe, tongue and nation. Then the end must come. That's what the scripture says. And I said last week, the gospel does not preach itself. It requires of us that we preach it, not just demonstrate it, walk around holy, hoping people are going to ask us, you know, what do you believe? It actually has to be preached to people. It has to be shared. It has to be manifested. And so uh, the second part of that prophetic word uh, came to me during the week as well. And this is what I heard the Lord say. Make all your pathways straight. That's pretty much the message to the seven churches summed up. Make all your pathways straight. You must be ready to walk in uncompromised authority. Allow the searchlight to expose all the grey areas of your life so that my fire can come and eradicate every blemish. My people have abrogated their authority for too long. In other words, we set aside our responsibility. That's what abrogate means. You know that you have a responsibility to do something, but you go, I'm going to put it off till tomorrow, or that person's better equipped to do that than me, instead of stepping into by faith what God has told us to do so that it... I'll tell you, every time 
that you step into the things of the kingdom, whether you're praying for somebody, whether you are sharing the gospel with them, because of your obedience, God gives you a fresh impartation so that you are more equipped the next time that you do it. The, uh, one of the greatest evangelists on the face of the earth today, Todd White, um, did not start off healing the sick everywhere he went. I can't remember how many hundreds or thousands of people he prayed for. What was that number? 700, that's a good godly number. <laughs> 700 people he prayed for before he saw a healing. And now he sees healing wherever he goes. Why? Because he wouldn't give up, because he was obedient. Kwame, <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord is calling you out. The Spirit of the Lord is saying to you that um, though he has given you a specific attitude, avenue through which to share your faith, that he is going to expand the avenue into a boulevard and that uh, you must not restrict what you think your pathway forward is, whether it be in music, in rap, in, in the various areas that you're involved in. God is saying that he has called you to be a mouthpiece for your generation, for your culture, and that you will demonstrate and speak the word of God with great power and authority to your generation. Uh, we've only got the worship and tech team in the building today, but all of you guys, I want you to stretch out your hands to Kwame. And Kwame, I just want you to receive this right now. There is an impartation for the sharing of the gospel in power. I thank you, Father God, the power of your Holy Spirit is being brought out in him right now. And the Lord is saying to you, I've seen your struggles. I've seen your doubts and your fears that you have concealed from everybody else. The Lord says, I am healing you. I'm taking the doubt and the fear out. And you will have the boldness and courage of a lion because you will be fully convinced that he is well able to keep all that you commit to him. God is saying, commit everything to, to me, Kwame, and watch what I will do. So, Lord, I thank you, Father, for that impartation for Kwame today. I thank you, Lord, that he walks in the truth of that word, that, Father God, that you launch him now into what you have for him in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I'll just... I'll, <laughs> Worship team, can you guys come up? Um, and can we do that I Speak Jesus thing? That's what an awesome song. Um, I'll just finish what, what the Lord was speaking to me here. Put aside the things that have allowed shame into your hearts. Put them aside. Lift your heads and lift your eyes to the hills. I am coming in power to my bride to restore and to equip. It is a denial of your identity to walk in shame, to walk in guilt, or to walk in condemnation. The enemy wants to ensnare you in your past, but you are already free because my blood has spoken freedom over you. And the Word of God says that he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so uh, as a closing thing this is the second little vision that i had i saw a picture of somebody 
uh, so conditioned to imprisonment and to being shackled that even after the shackles had been broken off and they were free to go, they still only went as far as the length of their chains used to be because they were conditioned to being stuck within a certain circumference. And the Lord is saying to those of you who have felt that you can't go beyond a certain point because of things that have happened in, the, in your past, the Lord is asking you to receive afresh the freedom that the blood of Jesus has spoken over you. Because uh, And the final thing that I felt the Lord say to me in this encounter was, for us to take the higher ground, we cannot stay where we are. We cannot stay shackled. We cannot stay uh, immature. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to actually be the bride of Christ, that pure, spotless bride that Jesus said, I'm coming back for you guys. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, Lord, I just thank you for the beautiful promises in the Word of God toward us. I want to thank you, Father God, that you are bringing us out into rich fulfillment. I thank you, Father God, that those who are watching uh, our live stream this morning, that who have been trapped in aspects of their past, that those shackles are not only broken off, but when they look down, they can't even see where the shackles used to be because you have given them a higher perspective. I thank you, Father God, that they are stepping out of the prison cells of their own making, out of the pits that they have dug for themselves, and that they are walking a new path, Lord, and they are ascending the hill of the Lord, that we are all rising up together because the Lord is saying to us, come up here and I'm going to show you the things that are to come. Can you join me in saying hallelujah? Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you for what Hallelujah. you have promised us. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. Bring me out into full maturity, Lord. Help me to lay down the things of the past that have mired me in immaturity. Help me, Lord, to see things as you do and not as the world does. In Jesus' name, I speak Jesus yes. over everybody who is joining our live stream today. I speak Jesus. Forget your 10-step program. I speak Jesus, the one-step program. The one-step program devised before, before the creation of the world. I thank you, Jesus, that you are setting free today, setting us free in Jesus' name. Let's close in worship. <laughs>